Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble since 2015. Coming at you live from New York City with the great Thea Harper, coming at you from Brooklyn, and the great Chris Hauselt, way down South Carolina way. Guys, I hope you've had a good week so far. I hope you've had a good year so far, and I hope you're keeping warm. We have a lot to get to tonight. There's a lot going on, and... um This is our last full-length live show of 2022. We still have lots more new stuff and our end-of-the-year specials tomorrow, but this is the last full three hours of live you're going to get out of us. And so it's a really special show tonight. Uh, We'll be back, of course, in the beginning of January. And we have some of our best ofs all set up. I hope you'll keep on listening during the Christmas break and hear some of the interviews and shows you might have missed. And um, I want to just take a moment to thank all the listeners here. Everyone who listens to Progress and who has taken this show here at What the Hell O'Clock and made it part of the lineup and made us feel very at home. And I want to thank the great people I get to work with, not just Chris and Thea, but Sean Bertolo and my God, I mean, everyone at Progress, Tim, and there's a lot of good people here and all the other hosts at Progress, like Dean and Michelangelo and Stephanie, but Stephanie, not so much, but not at all. But Zerlina and and, uh, and, uh, Tom Harbin, Stephanie means well, but you, you guys know. It's uh, It's been a crazy year, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, and I know we're already back to keep Christ in Christmas time. I'm like, can we, can we, can we put him back in Christianity first, maybe? Hmm? But Christmas, well, it's a special time. It's a time when loved ones travel, and they're celebrating someone who was born in a barn, and they're complaining your sofa bed's uncomfortable. You know, stuff like that. It's also a great time to remember, uh, if you're going to be around family and you're nervous, don't forget, not all of your relatives or family and not all your families or relatives just just go and see them be as loving and good as you can avoid fights when you can and then get back to your home get back to your tribe get back to the people who love you and if you get along great with your parents and family then please 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 have a wonderful wonderful time so i don't even know where to begin we have a great show tonight, and some of our favorite regulars are going to be joining us to say goodbye to 2022 as well. Professor Corey Brettschneider will be here very shortly. We're also going to be joined by the rude pundit, Lee Papa, and um, Thea with the last edition of the Minority Report for 2022. Love to know what your plans are for Christmas, and, and do you celebrate Christmas? Do you celebrate Hanukkah? Do you, are, are you not a fan? Are you a fan even though you don't celebrate? I'd, I'd, I'd love to know where you're at. And of course, we're always asking for what are some great Christmas songs to add to our playlist. 
And by the way, we're posting all of our playlists from the show on the show's Facebook page. You can check out and hear all the groovy music we play. Also, you know, any great Christmas movies you want to recommend that don't necessarily star Jimmy Stewart or Edmund O'Brien as Santa Claus. We'd love to hear. 866-997-GRIT. Let's do a show. In a Christmas message, Joe Biden offered remarks of hope, and he actually urged Americans to seek comfort and knowledge in the story of Christmas. The message of Christmas is always important, but it's especially important through tough times, like the ones we've been through the past few years. The pandemic has taken so much from us. We've lost so much time with one another. We've lost so many people, people we loved. Over a million lives lost in America alone. That's a million empty chairs, breaking hearts and homes all across the country. Our politics has gotten so angry, so mean, so partisan. And too often we see each other as enemies, not as neighbors, as Democrats or Republicans, not as fellow Americans. We've become too divided. But as tough as these times have been, if we look a little closer, we see bright spots all across the country. The strength, the determination, the resilience that's long defined America. I love what he said. And I agree. I'm someone who loves Christmas. I was raised by Southern people who really love Christmas. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I'm just uh, I'm grateful that this administration had as much success as they did. There's a lot more they could have done, and I hope they'll get more done next year. But the Inflation Reduction Act is the most money any government's ever spent to fight climate change. The American Rescue Plan uh, just helped lift so many out of poverty. First meaningful gun safety legislation in 30 years. The CHIPS Act, bringing electronic manufacturing to the United States. A lot of these are things that we haven't actually seen the impact yet. The infrastructure bill is incredible, but those jobs haven't started yet. You know, the stuff in the Inflation Reduction Act about lowering drug prices, I mean, that hasn't gone into play yet. Stuff that happened this year will be unfolding, and the ripple effects will be making people's lives better. This administration, I'm sure they're going to keep on trying to help, but they're going to have a lot they achieve this year that they're going to be rolling out and can point to in the years to come. I mean... The infrastructure spending, the the Ukraine aid, there, there's the, the PACT Act for our veterans. There's you know, protecting marriage equality. First black woman on the Supreme Court decriminalizing weed on the federal level. And of course, one of the most Christian things Joe Biden did this year, forgiving a huge chunk of student loan debt. No money for education was lost in that. No one's getting anything for free. They're just not going to have to pay the very evil interest. Here's Joe Biden again. He offered his own wish for America this holiday season. So my hope this Christmas season is that we take a few moments of quiet reflection. Find that stillness in the heart of Christmas. It's at the heart of Christmas. And look, really look at each other. Not as Democrats or Republicans. Not as members of Team Red or Team Blue. But as who we really are. Fellow Americans. Fellow human beings worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. I sincerely hope this holiday, this holiday season will drain the poison that has infected our politics and set us against one another. I hope this Christmas season marks a fresh start for our nation because there's so much that unites us as Americans. So much more that unites us than divides us. We're truly blessed to live in this nation. And I truly hope... We take the time to look out, look out for one another, not at one, for one another. 
I agree with everything you said, and I agree with playing the Charlie Brown Christmas special in the background. Chris, was that you playing that, or was somebody that was me. in? That was you. Oh my god, that, was that reminded it reminded me of Linus when he's like, "Light, please." <laughs> Can we can we start playing that anytime anyone gives an Oscar speech like that? It's <laughs> okay, so sure. <laughs> Chris, are you excited for Christmas? Are are you and your family planning anything special? Um, uh, a roaring fire and a lovely dog and uh, lots of movies and snacks and booze and getting rid of the stink of 2022 john there you go there you go thank you yeah i listen my only plans are i'm working on my new dr seuss holiday special how the petulant man child grinch bought christmas for 44 billion and ruined it in five weeks so watch watch for that that's um i'm excited to to roll that out you know we've been doing a lot of end of the year shows the Progress Avengers show is going to be airing very soon, and I'm excited to see to, to, to be a part of that. We recorded it this week, and I hope if you get a chance, you'll check it out. It's it's all the hosts from from Progress uh, uh, talking about the year events, and I've been asked to do a lot of other shows talking about the year. And you know, it, every year you're always a bit in shock at how many people have left us, how many people we've lost over 12 months, and this year is just kind of stunning. To think about all the people who left the building this year. We've all been so busy in the political fights and the midterms and COVID and all the various disasters ranging from Ukraine to Roe v. Wade. But I mean, 2022 was a monster. 2022 was the year. I mean, they took away Angela Lansbury, Betty White and Queen Elizabeth. I thought those three would never leave us. This year, we lost Loretta Lynn. We lost both Bob and Luis from Sesame Street in 2022. They both left us. We lost filmmakers. Jean-Luc Godard died. Ivan Reitman, Peter Bogdanovich, Douglas Trumbull. Journalists left us. Bernie Shaw, who I grew up watching on CNN. Mark Shields, Barbara Ehrenreich. My God, Nickel and Dimed is one of the best books about the American economy you can ever read. I gave a copy of it to my mother. David McCullough, the great historian who classed up so many documentaries. And all the figures in politics. I mean, the former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, was assassinated. Madeleine Albright, our first female Secretary of State, left this year. And, of course, maybe the most consequential politician of my lifetime, Mikhail Gorbachev. In sports, the list is so long, from Bill Russell to Gaylord Perry, Vince Scully to Franco Harris this week. Actors, Kirstie Alley, who I just loved. And she went crazy, but she stayed nice, at least to me. Estelle Getty died this year. Oscar nominee Sally Kellerman, who I, I got to work with on an NBC show. I mean, Nichelle Nichols of Star Trek, Judy Tenuta, one of the funniest ladies I've ever known. When I first met her, I was an intern at MTV and she came in to do a taping and she was a big star at the time and was just so foul mouthed and kept saying new kids on the block were nothing but fucking menudo. And I fell in love. Philip Baker Hall died. Fred Ward, Robert Morse, so many good actors. Howard Hessman from KRP, Robbie Coltrane, Leslie Jordan, maybe the greatest movie star alive died this year. Sidney Poitier. And and all my favorite mob actors. Did you notice the mob actors? We lost the Paul Sorvino, James Kahn, Tony Sirico, Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. And of course, the wonderful Ray Liotta. So many musicians. Alan White from Yes. Andy Fletcher from Depeche Mode. Composer Angelo Badalamente. Vangelis died this year. Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters. And Naomi Judd. Meat Loaf. Irene Cara. Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac. Jerry Lee Lewis died this year. And Coolio. I wasn't ready for Coolio to leave. Thich Nhat Hanh died this year. Uh, and then there's our Rolodex. Guys, this was a rough one. Every year there's a few friends of the show that pass. We, we've always had that happen. But this year was just brutal. 
it was a year when great comedians left us seemingly all at once. Great comedians who've classed up this show, who've made my life and career better. Great comedians who've helped me in my life and have inspired me and been friends. And, and beyond the comedians, we lost 10 friends of the show this year. Gary Brooker from Procol Harum, who did the show a couple of years back, and it was so amazing to meet him. Bobby Rydell. And when they first pitched me Bobby Rydell a few years back, I said yes, because I thought it would make Frank Conniff happy. Frank wasn't in that day, and I loved hanging with Bobby. P.J. O'Rourke. I still can't believe P.J. O'Rourke has left us. He was one of my favorite guests. He was the conservative that you, you couldn't help but love. And he wasn't that conservative. And then it gets harder <laughs> to read some of these names. Um, I love Dan Hayes. I knew her before I came to Sirius XM. What happened there was so tragic. Ronnie Spector, who did our show several times. <sighs> the only bad thing about leaving Page Six TV was that it made Ronnie mad because she liked that show. As someone who truly deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and one of our favorite guests ever. William Hurt, who was the greatest actor in movies when I was growing up. And then, of course, long before Me Too, his behavior completely destroyed his own career, but he kept on working. He got an Oscar nomination in 2005 for David Cronenberg's A History of Violence for a role that's like eight minutes of screen time. And when he came, I didn't know what to expect. He was so humble. He was a man who knew what the world thought of him. He knew the damage he'd done to his own career. And he was just so full of grace and kindness and wisdom. And he kept emailing me after he did the show. Uh, just a, a tremendous loss. And then, and then our friends, Eric Bollert, who did this show more times than I can ever count, and who inspired me, who I did so many TV shows with, who just made brilliance look easy. Bob Saget, who I have a very long history with. Louis Anderson, who the first time I ever did stand up on TV was for a NBC show that Louis was the MC. <laughs> I can still do his impression of him saying my name. <laughs> and the funniest man alive died this year. Gilbert Gottfried, someone who I just loved so much, I can't even begin to speak about it. We lost a lot this year. And of course, that's saying nothing. The people of Ukraine lost much more. But. As with every year, for all the loss, it just makes me more determined than ever to appreciate all we still have, all the beautiful people in our lives, in our culture, in our government, that are still there, making the world better for the rest of us. Thank you to everyone we rode with who has gone on to another place, and we hope we see them all again. And we're also losing Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House. She gave her final press conference as Speaker today. She closed with a message for future Democratic leadership. My goal and my wish is that our new leadership in the House, based on the foundation that we have laid or forming their own approach, will do even better than the significant legislative successes that I have had as Speaker of the House. Thank you all. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, enjoy your families. Thank, yes, thank you. You never play the Charlie Brown thing when I'm giving a moving monologue. By the way, now that she's no longer Speaker, maybe we can finally get her on the show. I've been working on her for a while. And there's one more thing I want to also mention, and then we're going to get to it. As always, hello to our evil army of the night, listening live and calling in, and hello to our daywalkers, all you wonderful people who listen on the app, on demand, and on the Fugelsang podcast. Um, Sean Hannity. <laughs> it's Christmas, so let, let, let's talk about a mutant elf. You know, Sean Hannity's a guy who I've never actually met in person. He's blocked me on Twitter when we were sort of co-workers a couple times, uh, you know. 
he spread lies and disinformation on Fox News about the 2020 election. That's no big deal, right? He spread lies and disinformation on Fox News about COVID-19 and Charlottesville and refugees. He spread a lot of lies about Seth Rich, spread a lot of lies about Obama's birth certificate. Was there ever a birther that Sean would not book on his show? My God. Orly Tate's at her own green room. And of course, Sean helped get up to a million people killed by lying relentlessly on his show about WMDs in Iraq and questioning the patriotism of anyone who opposed that immoral, stupid, illegal war. And I mentioned he lied about COVID-19, right? Because Diamond and Silk were fired by Fox for spreading lies about COVID-19. And Sean keeps getting promoted for doing the same thing. What's the difference, I wonder? But let's talk about lies and Sean Hannity. And I don't want to do this in our last show before Christmas, but I'm sorry, I have to. The news demands it. Because on November 30th, of 2020, a couple of weeks after the American people overwhelmingly voted Donald Trump out of office, Sean Hannity hosted future disbarred lawyer Sidney Powell on his primetime Fox News program. And look, it's so easy to make fun of Hannity for his lies, for his morality, for the fact that he looks like Fred Flintstone wearing a Fisher Price person hair. But Sidney Powell, a former federal prosecutor, went on his show and just lied and vomited out conspiracy theories about what she said was corruption all across the country and countless districts in a plot to steal the election from Donald Trump. And Sidney Powell kept talking about the machines from Dominion voting systems. She said they ran an algorithm that switched votes for Donald Trump to votes for Joe Biden. The Dominion machines, she said, were being used to trash large batches of votes. Hannity at one point interrupted her. He interrupted her with a question, not the challenger, He interrupted her to say, why were Democrats silencing whistleblowers who could prove this fraud? He pushed every possible election lie he could on his unwatchable Fox show. And he didn't believe it for one second. That's not me. That's the answer Sean just gave under oath in the deposition in Dominion's 1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox News. I did not believe it for one second. Sean Hannity who lied for years about Iraq war, who lied for years about Obama's birth certificate, lied for years to his audience, almost two years, that the 2020 election was stolen. And then when he had to go under oath, he did not believe it for one second. Folks, I love this story because it's why we have to put Republicans under oath. They can shit on the Bible all they want. They don't follow it. Find me. Folks, find me a Republican here in Jesus season. Find me a Republican media figure or elected official who actually has read the Gospels and gives a rat's ass about this prop they wave around. We have to put them all under oath, their hands on the Bible, and then find out what they really believe. That's what this story is for me. The New York Times reported when Hannity was deposed early this year as part of the defamation lawsuit, he admitted his real thoughts about the 2020 election being stolen. I did not believe it for one second. And again, that didn't stop him from pushing the fraud, pushing the lies. This confession came out in court during a hearing yesterday to address all these issues that have to be resolved before this case heads to a jury trial, which will begin in April. So what does it mean that Hannity said this? Well, it means that Hannity's a liar. We've always known that. It means we have to get Republicans under oath, which we we know. It also shows that at least several Fox employees were aware they were broadcasting fake news. What are we going to do about it? Government's not going to do anything about it, right? It's us. It's honest people. It's media people. It's comedians. 
He was willing to promote Trump's lies, but he was unwilling to defend these lies under oath. He'll do it for your grandma. He'll do it for your mom and dad. He'll do it for Cletus drooling on the clicker. He won't do it in a court of law. And Dominion argued in the courtroom on Wednesday that not a single Fox witness had shown anything that supported any of the bogus election fraud claims that Trump and his winged monkeys promoted after the election. Dominion lawyer Stephen Shackelford told the court Hannity's doubts were echoed in many other depositions, including Tucker Carlson. He said Tucker Carlson tried to squirm out of it at his deposition when asked about what he really believed. Fox News knew they were lying. The Trump campaign knew they were lying. Trump knows he's lying. You guys know they're lying, and it's not going to change in 2023. Please understand, going into this new year, we just have to be very calm and sane and united in understanding and conveying you can't believe anything the primetime hosts of Fox News are saying at any time. That network is one of the reasons our country is so divided. That network is a smear machine. They don't care about facts. They are a propaganda mouthpiece for the Republican Party. If anything, they're more powerful than the Republican Party. And every time you haul those godless, motherless bastards into court, those hosts always have to admit they lie to the American public. So keep that in mind here in the Christmas season. Christmas is a weird time. <laughs> you know, it's the time when our whole economy depends on people buying possessions to celebrate the birthday of a guy who renounced possessions. But as we prepare for this holiest of seasons, and I'm someone who loves Christmas, even though I don't necessarily love organized religion, which makes sense to me. You know, keep in mind this character of Jesus we talk about, peaceful, radical, nonviolent revolutionary, hung around with lepers, hookers, and crooks, was not an American citizen, never spoke English. He was anti-capitalist, anti-wealth, completely anti-public prayer, anti-death penalty. He was never anti-abortion. Uh, he was never anti-gay, never called poor people lazy, never fought for tax cuts for the wealthiest Nazarenes. He never asked a leper for a copay. He never said torture's okay under some circumstances. And he was a long-haired, brown-skinned, homeless, community-organizing, anti-slut-shaming, unarmed, Palestinian, liberal, homeless Jew. That's if you believe what's actually in the Bible. And you don't need to believe what's in the Bible is literal fact to draw inspiration from this story. This story of humiliation and glory. This story, and again, you don't need to believe in it, but the humility of the story. That this family is traveling for a census and they have to sleep in a barn. It's beautiful because Jesus' whole message is about poverty. The Bible talks about poverty more than it talks about any of these sexual hangups, these frauds pretend it talks about. And don't get me wrong. The Bible's a very fucked up book in many ways. And we can sit all day and talk about the contradictions and the misogyny. I'm right there with you. But this character, this character is about love. This person, this Jesus, whatever you want to believe, real, fictional, mythical. And the Christmas season is special because it is about love. It's about love for yourself, love for your friends, love for your family, love for strangers, the world, love of memories. And I like the manger story. I find most conservative Christians only care about the manger and the crucifix, and they ignore all of the inconveniently liberal teachings in between. But I've learned that every day of life, no matter what your spiritual background, every day of life, and liberals know this, you're going to run into things where you're going to have to decide if there's room in the inn or there's no room in the inn. Every day, you'll be faced with this. This is what politics is. 
this is what our conservative brothers and sisters don't get. Because our conservative brothers and sisters are the ones who are always saying there's no room in the inn. Liberals are the ones who are generally trying to find room in the inn or make it better. How many can we squeeze? How many can we help? That's what being progressive is. That's what being a liberal, whatever you want to call it, anti-evil. Are you going to find some room in the end to help these refugees on a cold night? Or are you going to sit inside and be impressed with how moral and good you are? So I hope you have a Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate. And Jesus, if you're listening this year for Christmas, I'd like to try following your teachings without having one of your followers call me a socialist. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. You know who else we said goodbye to this week? Was the January 6th committee. Yep. And Jim Jordan's already attacking them because they didn't look the other way. You know, it's amazing that Trump's political career began with a racist lie about a president not being legitimate. And his political career ends with a violent lie about another president not being legitimate. But uh, I think everyone has been surprised at how somehow over the course of summer and fall, the January 6th committee has actually made quite an impact, both in terms of how we see the story, the criminal referrals, and of course, uh, the incredible turnout in the midterm elections. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome back for the last time in 2022, Professor Corey Brettschneider, who of course enriches students' lives in the poli-sci department at Brown University. You may have read his stuff in the New York Times, Politico, and Time. You should get his book, The Oath in the Office. A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents at your favorite bookstore. It is a great gift for the smart, moral person in your life. Check out his Penguin Liberty series books on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's most notable cases. What a great, it's always a pleasure to welcome this man. It's an honor, but Corey, welcome. It's so nice. And thank you at the top for making our year so much smarter and wiser and better. Welcome. Thanks, John. Looking forward to closing out uh, this year with with, uh, another great conversation. And yeah, it's been such a pleasure to continue to talk to you every week. Well, that's why all I want to do is discuss Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, because we really didn't get to this year together. And uh, no, <laughs> yeah, we skipped that one. My God, can you believe how important that was for a couple of weeks? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was I was really curious about your thoughts about the, the committee wrapping up this week. I, I just was spending some time with Congressman Raskin 
uh, in Maryland uh-huh. flat, the week before. I, saw that. Yeah. I was at his birthday party and I did some stand up for him. And, you know, I just I just feel like they did such a service. And I have to say, I was very cynical about it at first. I just thought, oh, Democrats, you're just going to mm-hmm. try to keep this in the headlines for a few more months, aren't you? Well, they did that and and more. And I'm very curious what you thought of the final public hearing. I thought, you know, it was the culmination of a historic event. Hearings like this sometimes have 100 viewers on C-SPAN of that. And this was something that captivated the country. They were able to use narrative and really tell the story in depth of what happened that day and put in context that it really wasn't just some random riot. There was an attempt to overthrow the government in a self-coup and showing Trump's knowledge along the way as he sat in that dining room watching things on television, refusing to respond. Uh, the idea of John Eastman, the, the plot to really overturn um, this election unlawfully, all of that was done just so well. And of course, culminating in uh, a definitely a not a weak sauce conclusion, but a very strong sauce conclusion and saying, look, there were crimes committed here. We're not going to play coy the way that uh, Mr. Mueller did and, and prevent, present lots of evidence of of crimes, but not call them out as crimes. No, they said uh, there are definitely crimes here. And so I thought it was a fitting end to a really brilliant uh, explanation for the American people of why our democracy was under threat. I, I thought so as well. And, you know, I really thought um, we have not given them enough credit for how much of a role they played in helping America, American democracy in the midterms. I mean, by right. by continually showing us new perspectives on this that we hadn't seen yet and new visuals on it that we hadn't seen yet, they didn't just keep the story in the headlines. They made people want to protect democracy. And at the end of it, I, I, I don't think the whole thing was about punishing Donald Trump. I think it was about the fact that we still have a very present danger, not all that, all, not altogether cl- a clear one, but a very present danger mm. that we all have to be active for. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I do think there are two two purposes and we'll get to the recommendations and I, I still am hopeful that, that they'll be successful in that goal. But I think the certainly as much of a goal, maybe even more important, was the education of the American people that they had a criminal president who really did try to do more than commit commit a crime, but to commit a high crime of destroying uh, American democracy. And the, exactly as you said, the result in the midterm was that every single one uh, of these, well, I don't know every single one, but but many of the deniers that were out there uh, were defeated, and and Trump's candidates certainly were defeated. And let's you know pay tribute too to the fact that finally uh, poll, Trump's poll numbers are going down. He's weakened within the party as well as beyond it, and uh, you know he he was a, a real threat. I think before the midterms, he's still a threat, but but not as much as one, and that's because yeah. of the education. Uh, that this committee was able to provide. One thing I was worried about is how do you explain these ideas to Americans who, you know, increasingly have shorter attention spans, who are used to a certain kind of, you know, television narrative, and they figured it out. They figured out how to take the ideas and put them into a narrative form and uh, make something that was compelling, watchable, and most of all, educational about the threat uh, that we really were under. Yeah. Now, uh, the four charges are very interesting. I mean, you know, historically, I, I really keep trying to remind myself of how amazing this is. I mean, the first time in U.S. history 
Congress has recommended criminal charges for a former president. This didn't happen for Nixon. This nope. didn't happen right. for Andrew Johnson. Um, right. And and they have referred him to the DOJ for four crimes. Two of them are crimes you and I have discussed in some detail: obstruction of an official proceeding of Congress and conspiracy to defraud the U.S. And the other two crimes: um, conspiracy to make a false statement and inciting or assisting. An insurrection. Right. Were you surprised at these? <laughs> were you surprised at these charges? I mean, there's been a lot of debate about how much teeth they're going to have. Uh, you know, I I was hopeful. Uh, I thought, especially after the sedition charges were brought against um, uh, the oath keepers, that you know, they're just the common sense says you can't have sedition when it comes to the people entering the building. And in the case of Stuart Rhodes, you know, kind of controlling the the specifics of who was entering and when, and not bring them against the person who incited all of this. Now, they didn't bring sedition specifically, though they certainly brought a, a very related charge, which is uh, incitement to insurrection, and that's what this was. I would have hated to have seen a charge suggested of incitement to riot or something like that. This wasn't a riot. It was a riot for a purpose of overturning the government, and it wasn't any official proceeding. So, I think what's brilliant about the way that they did it, and yes, I was hopeful that they were going to go this way, is that they have the specific charges, uh, you know, about disrupting a proceeding. But there's also a recognition at the same time that even though it's hard to prove, this wasn't any proceeding. It was a proceeding about the transition of power. And so they have that wider idea here. And I think, you know, the other thing is, did they did they really show all four of these to be uh, the case that, that Trump is guilty of all four. And I, I just think that they did. The hardest thing I think that you and I talked about when we we're talking about some of the charges like um, incitement to insurrection is, you know, what was his motive? Was he really willfully trying to start uh, insurrection? And how do you show that? Well, they did. I mean, they showed the conversations with Eastman, the plot in general, and then the specific behavior willful behavior during the day to uh, allow it to happen and even to encourage it at different yeah. points. Uh, for instance, think of the, the the sort of message to the Secret Service that he wants to allow people with weapons into the speech. Uh, those shocking thing after thing showed that he really was planning this, did intend it. Exactly. And that's the kind of thing in a court of law that could get him off if he couldn't show it. And I think what they showed is, no, there is the evidence here to bring all four of these charges. I mean, the panel released a lengthy summary in the final report, and the findings are that Trump engaged in a multi-part conspiracy to thwart the will of voters. Obviously, it doesn't really matter what charges they referred to the DOJ. It matters what evidence they sent over to the DOJ, right. because right. if there are to be any prosecutions, uh, that'll be Merrick Garland's call. Yeah, I mean, I'd add one thing, which is, you know, this isn't a private correspondence. I think the way that the two things that we've been talking about fit together, the education of the American people and the um, referral to the Department of Justice to bring criminal charges in, on these four counts, is that um, they presented their case to the widest jury imaginable. And the Department of Justice watched as the American people became convinced of Donald Trump's guilt. That has to have both a, an effect in terms of seeing the evidence, really looking closely at what they have, but also in prov providing, this I think is the most important point, a counterbalance to the inherent conservatism in the Department of Justice, which doesn't want to get involved in politics and has a tradition of 
really staying clear away from indicting uh, candidates and certainly presidential candidates. And this puts pressure on them in the appropriate way. It shows the evidence is there. The American people have shown that the evidence is there. And at minimum now, you know, the Department of Justice has to explain if they're not going to bring criminal charges, why. Uh, the idea that they shouldn't bring the charges because he's, you know, a candidate now, I think is ridiculous. Rubbish. Because, yeah. of course, they were looking into this well before he declared. And you don't want to create an incentive system that says that all you need to do to get away with major crimes is to run for president. Um, I completely agree with you. I, I, I do think that we will be seeing him be prosecuted for something in the next year. I mean, yeah. it really seems like as cautious as Merrick Garland is, I'm very curious. I mean, what does all this evidence mean for a prosecution? I, I have no doubt Merrick Garland would like this to just go away, but I don't think it is. And I, 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 I don't know. It's just a hunch, but everyone I've talked to really does feel that there's something resembling a tipping point and there may not go after him for insurrection or for conspiracy. Um, but there's a lot there they can do. You know, what, what, do you have any predictions you would care to hazard? You know, I, I could see how, especially if you're talking to former prosecutors, they might say, OK, let's go for the safe thing. And the thing that we really can prove is the, um, you know, for, for instance, the desire to, to disrupt an official proceeding. But the more you narrow the charges, the more the question becomes, why are we charging him? The Department of Justice isn't just, you know, in a vacuum going to say, and this is, you know, under their own policy, okay, if somebody's guilty of any crime, we're going to prosecute them, even if they're running for president of the United States, even if they're a former president. They have an obligation to do justice. They have an obligation, they think, to stay out of partisan politics. So something has to provide the counterbalance. And I think the thing that obviously provides the counterbalance is the disruption of democracy. And that's yeah. why I think that charge of insurrection is is really so important to bring here. So I think this, you know, if you ask prosecutors in a normal case, what would you do? I could see the point that, that career lawyers would say, OK, go for the narrow thing. But we're, mm -hmm. this isn't the normal case. This is historic. It's also, to my mind, the time to really correct the massive mistake of the Nixon administration. And the mistake there, too, is to say, let's move beyond this and let's go on. And, you know, you need a, a reason for that, for correcting course. And the, the reason is the protection of our democracy. And that's what that insurrection case shows. Now, if there wasn't the evidence, you know, we didn't, we didn't have the case laid out before us, as we did by uh, Congressman Raskin and others of what's going on here, of what the evidence is that he wanted to undermine the government, that he was mm -hmm. seeking a self-coup to stay in power through illegal means. Uh, OK, then I could say go for the lesser charges. But we've all seen the evidence and it is beyond compelling. So, yeah, I don't already. Uh, and that's without, you know, the massive power investigation of the Department of Justice, which in some ways goes beyond the Congress. Uh, so I, I think, you know, that they'd be remiss to not bring the bigger charge. You know, if you get a, a, a manslaughter uh, case against uh, Charles Manson, that's not really doing your job. He was a mass murderer. Mm -hmm. And this is somebody that didn't just disrupt the proceeding. He tried to undo our democracy. Right on. Uh, by the way, this just came in from uh, Zachary Cohen at CNN. The January 6th committee's final report has been filed in the House and will be made public this evening, the panel says, in new guidance. So, and, and by the way, this is not to be confused with Donald Trump's tax returns, which are being released. This is, 
or the lawsuits or his con- or, or the Trump organization being guilty on all counts two weeks ago in the courtroom. This is this is just the January 6th committee. Um, and while I still have you, Professor, I, I would be most remiss if I didn't ask you your thoughts about uh, President Zelensky's 10 hour trip to the U.S. after 300 days under siege, leaving his country to come here very briefly um, and, and what you thought of the speech and, and how significant it was. You know, I, I'm I'm glad that we're going to get to discuss this as, as we close out the year because we've so often our discussions are about the vulnerability of American democracy. They're frankly depressing about the state of things in American politics. And my reaction to this speech was, you know, a purely emotional one, which is look at this hero coming in, battling a true tyrant abroad. And really speaking to America about the link between our own values, our own history, and what they're trying to accomplish in Ukraine to to defend freedom. And he put it in that simple way so elegantly early on in the speech that, that it really was just about the right of every family to pursue freedom in the same way that we talk about all the time. That's what they're trying to accomplish there. It, it gave me a real hope in the future of American democracy and democracy around the world, which has been so tattered. And uh, I think right. we need needed this uh, hero. And then it comes from somebody who knows how to do a little comedy all the better. Well, he also knows how to do diplomacy and he knows how to yeah. how to work it. I was really impressed with whoever wrote this speech because he was yeah. definitely talking to the conservative Americans out yeah. there. He mentioned Christmas half a dozen times. Yeah. He tied <laughs> Russia to Iran a half yeah. a dozen times. He kept talking about our war for independence and freedom and compared it to Battle of the Bulge and Revolutionary War. And, and one of his one of the highlights of the speech was when he said, um, your money is not charity. It's an mm. investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. I, 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 that was the one part that I loved that I thought, oh, well, uh, sorry, Republicans don't like democracy here or in your country either. <laughs> but I, I just thought it was such it was so filled with detail and it was so pointedly speaking to the values that conservative Americans claim to champion. He did such a good job on that front, too, up front in, in really just setting who the audience was. And, you know, he's sitting up there with the vice president of the United States and Nancy Pelosi. Of course, both are Democrats. He knows that. And he really invited the whole chamber in by talking about Republicans who had visited and with the hope that uh, future Republicans are going to come and visit. And, you know, this is a savvy guy. He knows this speaking to a lame duck Congress that he likely was invited because this was the last chance to do it. And yet he's preserving, I think, the future of the freedom of his own country by adding in a little savvy catering uh, to the Republican Party as well. Whether he knows the extent to which that party has really turned against democracy or not, I don't think it matters because uh, he didn't have a choice but to try to speak to them as if they still believed in American values of freedom. Let me quote him again. The brave American soldiers which held their lines and fought back Hitler's forces during the Christmas of 1944. Brave Ukrainian soldiers are doing the same to Putin's forces this Christmas. You know, so many really smart positioning of values in the speech. What do you think is going to happen, Corey? Did he make it a little bit harder for Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans to cut the funding when they take over in January? Um, I don't know. I mean, he's waging a global public relations war, and he's been winning in a way that nobody could have imagined it. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's going to have a task cut out for him because the isolationism of uh, the Republican Party, again, it's sort of hatred of democracy, 
um, the odd love of Putin that comes along with QAnon conspiracy is very powerful. Um, Now, can he hang on to some? So he's not going to get everybody, certainly, in that party. He'll have pushback against it. Um, But but I I think, you know, this speech is part of a way of of saying to to the the remaining moderates um, or the remaining people with any decency in that party that uh, you cannot turn your back on people who are fighting a, a tyrant. Amen. His his final line, may God forever bless the United States of America. Merry Christmas and a happy victorious new year. I mean, <laughs> he, he hit every button on that. And before, yeah. before I let you go, Professor, I just want to ask. I got to say, know, I love the Jewish guy not caring. It's like, I'm going to save my country if I need to say. Merry Christmas. That's what I'm uh, the say. Jewish guy that the Jewish guy saying Merry Christmas to Republicans who call him a Nazi Jewish guy. Right. It's just I, exactly. it, it takes a long time to understand all of this. Corey, I'm curious, uh, you know, what will you remember about this year and what are you uh, looking forward to in 2023? You know, I think this January 6th committee that we just finished talking about and we've been talking about from the beginning. Yeah. You know, when, when I, I, I in 2016, wrote the oath in the office trying to make the case that that fidelity to the Constitution is what matters most for a president and also making the case at the same time that, of course, Trump didn't didn't do that, didn't believe that and was bound to um, really upset the balance of constitutional democracy. Uh, mm. I didn't predict <laughs> that, A, it would go this far. I mean, a coup is something that that in our worst nightmare was out there. Um, but I also didn't predict that, you know, in the face of that coup, we would have a way of bouncing back by just talking about, That's again, it. in the same way we just were with Zelensky, our own values. It worked. You know, the, the midterms was, I think, a historic election uh, in, in the sort of ability of America to reclaim its own democracy and to push Amen. back against something that's easy, a, a, a kind of series of lies that's purely partisan and you know, that might have been the most important election um, yeah. of, I don't know, the last 50 years for sure, because if Trump would have prevailed, uh, we would have been in real trouble. The most important one until the next one. Professor Corey Brettschneider, thank you so much for making uh, our job so much more fun every week this year. We look forward to a wonderful 2023. You make us all feel smarter, and I appreciate you so much for it. Happy New Year to you and your whole family. Thanks, John. Best to you and your family and to all the listeners out there. Thanks. For, Thanks. we got to take a break right now. We'll be right. Thank you, Corey. We'll be right back with your calls at 866-997-GRIT. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm 
I'm John Fiegel saying this is progress after dark. My prediction is that Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis declare war on each other and it's porn for the angels. Donald Trump reaching deep for all of his evil and Ron DeSantis reaching deep for all of his evil, which, folks, it's considerable. And them unleashing a fury of hatred and just racist, vile, bile on each other. It's going to be beautiful. God's going to buy lube for the angels. That's sweet. So let me bring in someone uh, who is much more eloquent than me on these matters. The great Lee Papa, the political blogger known to uh, to the you lot as the rude pundit. He has tens of thousands of weekly readers. He's a regular guest on the Stephanie Miller show. And uh, we're trying to sucker him into being a regular guest on this show in the new year as well. Margot Jefferson. And the New York Times called Lee Papa a tornado of a writer and a child of Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, and Hunter S. Thompson. He's great on stage, too. You can support him and get more content from Lee on Patreon under the username Rude Pundit. Lee Papa, welcome back. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Great to see you, John. Thank you. Uh, I'm yeah, sorry. I you know, say, I was I thinking. Should, I'm sorry. I, I should say Merry Christmas because thanks to Donald we're Trump. Allowed. We're allowed. We can say that we're, again. Oh. We are. We are. I was actually on the phone with somebody from down south and I said, happy holidays. And they jumped in with Merry Christmas. And I was like, OK, Merry Christmas. You know, like, I don't fucking care whatever you want to yeah, say. It's great. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I say happy holidays because uh, it's more Christian. You're you're extending goodwill to everyone, not just your own little clique. But I love Christmas, too. And as soon as I know what someone celebrates, it's not. But we first met, I think, when when we were thrown in a gulag during the Obama administration for saying uh, a Merry Christmas. And they, they oh, yeah. us both up. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tried to electroshock us into, into yeah. only saying happy Some holidays. holidays. Yeah. And it didn't work. I could only say season's greetings. And that pissed them off because they grew up with that. Never thought about, you know, weaponizing it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you know, we, you know, it always just struck me like, you know, wasn't the whole thing invented just so you didn't have to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, you know? No, it was it's it's not my my theory is it was invented for capitalism. It was invented because businesses don't want to alienate a customer base and a lot of people don't celebrate Christmas. So they extend goodwill to everyone. That's why when someone gets mad about it. Oh, my God, you're blaming the Jews. You're blaming the Jews. That's what you're doing right now. Why do you hate capitalism? Why do you hate the free market? What's wrong with you communists? Uh, Try that on it sometimes. They'll love it. You're saying it's because of the Jews that we say happy (laughs) holidays. As as a part-time Jew, I am... You know, I, I, I actually was I was raised Jewish. So, I, you know, I guess and my mom was Jewish. So I guess officially no. I'm Jewy. I'll be so Gentile with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, listen, it's because of Jews. We have Christmas. So there's that as well. Oh, it's what I always say to, to Christians, which is which is, you know, if 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 we hadn't crucif- if we hadn't crucified Jesus, you wouldn't have a religion. You're welcome. <laughs> well, that would only make sense if you were Roman, but we could split hairs on this one all night. Oh, I, you yeah, know, I, 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 I can't tell you how many times someone has said happy holidays and it just ruins drag brunch for me. You know, it, ru- it just ruins drag story time as well. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I mean, trying to uh, go ahead, please. No, no. I mean, I mean, really, it interrupts the grooming that you're doing during the drag story time. You know, it interrupts the grooming that I'm doing and the trafficking that I'm doing. And honestly, it, it, it yeah, it's it, that's that's really hard for me because um, I, I try to think about what is the biggest line of bullshit they have fed us in the last year. I'm trying I'm trying to think about what is what is the biggest line of disinformation bullshit? Because, you know, previously it was covid. Right. That was the champ. And then yeah. it was Trump's yeah. election. And this year, is it is it grooming? Is it drag brunch or is it the word woke? Is it a word that was started by anti-racists 
to describe becoming anti-racist and has now been weaponized by racists to smear anti-racists. I have never seen a person who gives a fuck about racism also smear the word woke. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's just, it's just sad that they stole that fucking word from us. They stole it from us. I'm going to go, though, with groom with the grooming thing because okay. of the threat implied with that, which is that somehow we are exposing that you are secretly a pedophile. If you are a drag queen that performs that, that, that does a drag queen story hour or something like that. And, and and just the danger behind it. I mean, we saw it this week in New York. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you've talked about it, but. Uh, you know, with the what what happened in Chelsea with with the protesters, you know, in a New York City drag story time. What the fuck That's is right. wrong with you? That's right. And then they, and then and then these cock goblins broke into uh, the 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 apartment of the house of a uh, of, 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 of a member of the city um, of, of the New York City uh Ah, what did, what do we call it? Not the Board of education. I'm not. What? what? No, one of, of education. Just just uh, one of the somebody that one of the leaders of New York City broke into oh. his uh, broke into his place and even left that part all of kinds story. of anti left all kinds of anti gay messages there calling him a groomer. But see, that that's the great thing, because these people are stupid, right? Like like as I've had to say to several right wing folk this year, it is not possible to groom a child to be transgender. They're either trans or they're not. It is not possible to groom a child to be gay. And I know this because I tried to. I tried to make my son gay. Lee, I coached him. His first yeah. words were, bitch, please. I really tried. But you you can't. You can't groom a child to be either of those two things. But they don't care. It's like, I swear to God, Lee, they always find a new way, a, a new hat for the old racism. When they know they can't say an anti-Jewish slur, they'll come up with right. a globalist. They'll come up with globalist. When right. they know they can't come out and say the N-word, they'll come out and say critical race theory is there to make white children hate themselves. You know, it's got to be yes. virtuous somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or, or they'll say critical race theory is communist, which for me is nostalgic because that's what they called Martin Luther King. And when now they know they can't come out and be nakedly homophobic, so now they have a new slur they can use to still yeah. get away with the same old hate. And and the fear that is that that they have because, for instance, the massive support of same sex marriage that 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 exists now in the United States, it's like you know, it's like they told us that if this happened, you know, people would want to be marrying dogs. Well, you know what? I still can't marry my dog. Mm. You know, they're still saying that. By the way, I feel oppressed, and I've been grooming that dog for for a few years now. Congressman Bob Good said it last week that that gay marriage will lead to bestiality. Seven years after a Reagan appointee to the Supreme Court made marriage equality the law of the land, they're still saying it'll lead to bestiality. And, you know, Lee, I mean, if if it hasn't by now, if it hasn't by now, I mean, to me, like, I I love it because it saying that doesn't make them look like a person with great Christian values. It makes them look like people who think a little too much about bestiality. Hmm? Yeah. If they're not thinking about the genitals of children, they're thinking about fucking animals. So, you know, these are the things that are on on the minds of conservatives. This when we get frustrated about this is when we're making a mistake. Right. Like I I keep trying to tell myself and tell everybody 
Don't let these bigots and losers make you crazy. This has always been a part of the American experiment. They find a new way. The Father Coughlin becomes the Rush Limbaugh. There's always a new way for right-wing millionaires to keep hard-working white people really fucking angry and ignorant all the time. And that's how they keep their power. Millionaires stay in power by getting non-millionaires to scapegoat some group. And then they keep on voting for it. And to make them believe that the millionaire, what the millionaires want is what they absolutely must support. You know, we must make sure the millionaires don't pay high taxes, you That's know, it. because for some and, you know, it's, it's that it's that stupid American hope that you're going to be rich some days and you don't want to pay high taxes. But I just just to get back to the grooming thing, the thing that, that disturbs me is it's not just that they're saying you're they're grooming you to be gay. I think what they're saying is they're grooming children to have sex with them sure. as children. And that's the part that I think that so so it it, it is sort of bound up in this whole. Well, you I'm, know, I'm sorry, uh, the DeSantis the DeSantis office tried to make it sound like both of those things at the same time. That was when Don't yes. Say Gay came out. But you're you're right. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, but I I do think that that's that that's the that's the dangerous side of it. It is making people believe that if a child goes to a drag story time, that that child it's it's not just that that child's going to be gay, but that that child is going to be assaulted, and or groomed to be assaulted or to to want to be assaulted or something like that it, it and it, it and it is going to lead to more violence it's already led to violence and it's going to lead right. to more violence always always i want to ask you about uh ron DeSantis because um it's amazing watching how the republican party so deeply wants donald trump to go away yep. so they can have their coronation of uh of of ronda santa side and you know ronda's ready for it i mean he seems like all set to go in there and and to me, um, I'm I'm looking forward to these two declaring war on each other. I'm hoping it happens. Oh. What I still think is Ron DeSantis is the greatest threat in America to voting rights, to LGBT equality, to mm-hmm. to to women's reproductive freedoms, whatever liberal issue, to health care access, to education, to having fewer guns in our schools. Ron DeSantis is a greater threat to everything we care about than Donald Trump could possibly be at this point. I don't think Donald Trump can ever appoint judges again, but Ron DeSantis really could. Do you feel, Lee, as I have come to feel, that we're focusing way too much on the last monster, that we're not paying enough attention to the monster in the wings? I mean, you know, there is a part of me that feels like that DeSantis has a limited appeal, that it is that this is a very Florida phenomenon that um, I I mean, I just don't see how he gets beyond that. I mean, he's the thing. The thing with Donald Trump is Donald Trump at least still had that 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 fame base and he had and you know say what you will about him he had a certain dim-witted charm for oh, those no, he, had he had he had charisma he had charisma and he yeah. still does and it, he's a performer and 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 Ron DeSantis is a fucking black hole where charisma goes to die <laughs> and i i mean and you you watch this guy and, you, and you're like and all i can think every time i fucking see him is i just want to punch this guy in the face i would never oh. punch him in the face but every time i see him i think fuck you man you're the guy that sh- sold me a shitty used car once that's what yeah. you look like to me you look like the guy that's trying to get me to buy the warranty when i don't need the fucking warranty and so so that's how he comes across and he comes across as angry arrogant and and 
self-righteous and and with with none of that charm and and ability to crack a joke have you ever heard him crack a joke no no yeah that trump charm no i don't no i don't see him smile it's all this performative macho bullshit that's already boring and and i i said last and and by the way and by the way i just want to say fuck you man you have gotten ron DeSantis. you have gotten every fucking vaccine you could your wife recovered from breast cancer you are not taking a fucking chance you are t- you are getting everything and then for you to for him to come back and pretend like oh well you know the vaccine is an issue um the vaccine is a problem and and you know requiring vaccines is slavery or whatever the fuck he's saying now it's uh it's just just the rank hypocrisy without anything to it without anything that softens I love him this. yeah yeah. Well, let's let's talk about that then, because last week Donald Trump got a lot of ink because he began selling these ridiculous softcore gay porn NFT baseball cards of himself with fake. Yeah, I tried to masturbate to them. Could not. Could not. Oh, I'm even. so sorry. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I thought maybe the spacesuit one would at least help me out if I thought of him just floating in the cold expanse of space alone. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You gotta buy harsher yeah. drugs. Let's talk about something that is not. 10 stories deep in douchebaggery, and that is President Zelensky's speech yesterday. I think if a lot of us needed to be inspired for Christmas, um, God knows Joe Biden surprised me a lot this year, but wow, what a, not just a powerful speech, but a smart speech. It's like he knows everything the right wing is saying in right wing media and and, and the Breitbart channel down the hall, and he knew how to say all the right talking points. And and he knows American history better than most Americans. (laughs) I mean, bringing up the Battle of Saratoga, the Battle of the Mm -hmm. Bulge. I mean, you know, uh, he knew the word bicameral, which I bet, you know, most of the public doesn't know. Um, What I found, what I loved about the speech is there was there was an implicit challenge in there saying, "Okay, America, you hype yourself to be this beacon of freedom and fucking be that, you know? Yes, this is who you keep saying. And that, I think, was also the challenge of the right wingers. And one reason that it pissed off right wingers so much, other than the fact that they're, you know, they're just hanging on to Putin's ball hairs all the time. (laughs) It's that um, it's that it's that he was he he was saying, all right, motherfuckers, you're 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 the beacon of freedom. You're the superpower. Do it. Show it. Show yeah. that that's what you are. And yeah. and that and, you know, and, and the other thing I was thinking was I have seen this country back so many fucking fascists and totalitarians and mercenaries yeah. and militaries taking down insurgencies, yeah. uh, you know, backing, you know, people that were overthrowing legitimately elected officials. And you know what? Conservatives didn't say a goddamn thing about that. But this time we're actually backing this this real fight for freedom that has an effect on the entire world. And these motherfuckers are going to act like, oh, no, he's begging for money. He's just a welfare queen or whatever the the bullshit they were throwing. Like, no, that was totally in your face stuff and and done with such subtlety and uh, and and done in a way that it was rally behind this. Mm. Lee, uh, you're a teacher. And uh, I'm curious what the vibe is in the classrooms. Are your are your students feeling optimistic? Did they vote? Oh, my students voted. Yeah. Yeah. They voted. Um, You know, I teach in Staten Island. 
but yeah. uh yeah and you know what my students are almost all dis- their parents are very conservative my students are not um the, and so that there is also a chance for change you know there in a in, in you know it wasn't this time around the 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 republican won big in the house of representatives um That's because right. the democrats put up the guy that had previously lost max rose and um but they are i mean you know to be to be honest they're still recovering from the pandemic and that is really what they're grappling with i mean they are still they are still a psychologically damaged traumatized generation and uh and that's something that's going to take a while however it is interesting to sit there and talk to them and say you know and talk to them about shit like critical race theory and they are just open to it and they're like this is fascinating let's talk more about it you know and uh and they want to contextualize all these things that they're hearing about their parents are watching fox news all the time well what's really going on what are they really talking about oh wait i never heard about that and so they're open and that open-mindedness and that ability to evolve gives me hope you know, uh, and speaking of open mindedness and ability to evolve uh, really quick, George Santos, um, I think we got to keep him, keep him, oh. let him. He needs to be on that Congress that stop oh, trying to yeah. recall him. Let Kevin McCarthy defend him every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's the most yep, no. qualified Republican in the Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and and he promises, though, he's promising us uh, next week he's going to have a story for us. So I, I bet he will. I bet yep. he will. I can't wait for it. <laughs> Lee, it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm so happy to end the year talking to you. I'm looking forward to having you on a lot more in the new year because we're going to shake some shit up. There's going to be 400 Republicans running for president. It's going to be crazy. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you, sir? How do we follow you? Uh, you can follow me on actually you can follow me on post Mastodon, <laughs> uh, Rude Pundit, uh, all of these things. Instagram, Rude Pundit, Facebook, The Rude Pundit, Patreon, as you said earlier, Rude Pundit. You can still read the blog. I post weekly now there at rudepundit.blogspot.com. Twitter, Rude Pundit. I want to throw in my uh, Christmas, not Chris, Christmas movie. That's not really a Christmas movie. My favorite. Long Kiss. Good night. Gutsy call, yo. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Very underrated. Amazing Samuel L. Jackson performance. Amazing Gina Davis performance. Yep. Lee, thank you so much. Have a very rude Christmas and Hanukkah and a very rude New Year. We'll see you soon. See you soon, John. Thanks. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. 
And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Miss Harper. Happy Christmas. Hey, John. Hey, how Merry are you? Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. I'm, I'm great. I, I, I'm going to miss you guys. I can't believe we're finally there. And uh, I'm wondering if you and your family have any plans for the break. Mm, nothing really. Just spending time with each other. Very nice. But my, <laughs> my family plans on avoiding me. That's that's how they spend the holidays. They, <sighs> they go through a lot of time and they've, they've earned it. Um, I, I, I want to thank you, Thea. Not only are you wonderful to work with and you're, you know, a grown up in the room, but uh, also just this segment this year, it's been really, really fun. And every week you bring us segments that very often are totally overlooked by the media and even overlooked by lame Gen X white guys like me. So I'm grateful yeah. for this, uh, for this segment. And, and I'm, I'm really thrilled about what you, uh, what you're bringing us this week as we're kind of ending the year on a, a, a pretty high note. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have two stories for you tonight. Um, and one of them is Airbnb announces a ban on slave cabin rentals. Um, I honestly... I'm sorry, can we, let, can we let that land for a second? Airbnb sure. <laughs> has, has put a ban on people renting slave cabins. Like, right. We and are I, never going to take this seriously in this country. My God, please tell us what this story's about. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> um, not sure why this was okay in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. But over the summer, a TikTok went viral exposing a slave cabin listing in Mississippi. Now, um, every slave-related listing will be swept from the rental site. Now, this is on a on a on a. It's literally the St. Joseph Plantation, right? That's in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. This is the one in Mississippi. L literally, these are plantations making money off of slavery in yes. 2022. Yes. Um, and there are people staying in these slave cabins. And the comments, like the, the reviews um, that they left on Airbnb just had me at a loss for words, you know, the comments were talking about how luxurious the cabins were and elegant and no. historic. Um, oh, no, you know, it's, it's kind of scary because, you know, no one saw anything wrong with it. Um, I mean, I mean, now Airbnb is doing something about it, but it was actually brought to their attention back in 2019. So they've known uh, for a while about this, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I'm assuming, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt that someone can say, hey, I own a plantation and we've kept the slave cabins intact and we're going to we, we've upgraded them and there's Wi-Fi. So let's let's let people stay at a slave cabin. And maybe, you know, for a while, Airbnb just wouldn't know about it. But it, the article in The Root says color a change. And we love them. They reached out in 2019 about the plantations where people who were enslaved being rented out for fun. Yeah. Um, and so now Airbnb has a new policy and it states any listing of residents on a plantation, if structures that existed during the time of slavery are still present on the property, will be taken down. 
Additionally, any structures built for the purpose of housing enslaved people would be barred from future listings and renters will be prohibited from using a property's uh, slave related features as a marketing tool. As a marketing tool. I mean, wow. And th- th- I guess that means they can't say it has a charming history as well. Uh, Thea, mm-hmm. is it true that um, we have TikTok to some degree to thank for, yes. for Airbnb finally getting getting with the swing of things? What, what, what was it that happened this summer that led to this change in policy? Yeah, well, pretty much the, the TikTok uh, went viral and uh, this man was pretty much calling uh, Airbnb out um, and uh, these people who stared, stayed at these slave cabin rentals and like read the comments that people left, you know, talking about, you know, it being his, historic and and how they really enjoy their time and their stay. And it was a great uh, bed and breakfast. Like he really called them out. And oh that's what really brought attention to it. Wow. So at least we can thank TikTok for one thing this year. Right. I, 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 you know, it's just one of the themes I have when I argue with people about the Confederacy and this revolting flag and these disgusting monuments of these white supremacists who broke their oath and took up arms against the U.S. I, I just keep saying this is all a sign that we don't take slavery seriously. Like Germany takes mm-hmm. the Holocaust seriously. They don't fly the swastika over there. They're racists are flying our Confederate flag now. And the very fact the Confederate flag is so ubiquitous to me, it's just another sign that this is a culture that doesn't just take that refuse to take slavery seriously, but is proud of not taking slavery seriously. And this Airbnb story is just amazing that we can still profit off of this institution. Yeah, I mean, the article also talks about um this organization called a Slave Dwelling Project. Yeah, what is that, a Slave Dwelling Project? Yeah, so it's an organization that have been fighting to make sure that these structures are pretty much remembered for what they are, you know, for their for their historical significance and and not whitewashed like a lot of American history. Correct. I mean, I don't think they should be ripped down. I know. I remember going to the Mount Vernon tour of, of George Washington's house, and they show the slave quarters. And as the years have gone by, they've highlighted that a lot more, and it pisses off right wing people on the tour. But I, I think these these houses—they're not even houses; they're just shacks that were made. They've been converted to be little, you know, charming boutiques. But I I, I don't think they should be turned down. They should be kept up there uh, for the mm-hmm. history, and so people can remember. I, I just. Agree. How how was this happening for years? I mean, just insane. It is. It, it really, really is. You also had another very inspiring story that I, yeah. I want to get to real quick um, yeah. that deals with uh, the town my mother was born in, Roanoke, Virginia. You know, they they it's been a good year for tearing down Robert E. Lee monuments, and that's something I love to see. And in fairness, Robert E. Lee didn't want monuments to the Confederacy. He said that we shouldn't do it, but racists are going to racist. Tell right. me what the new news is out of Roanoke, Virginia. Yes. Yeah, so a statue of Henrietta Lacks uh, will be re- will replace uh, the Robert E. Lee statue in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, so Henri- Henrietta was born in Roanoke and died of cancer in 1951 at the age of 31. And um, if, for the people who don't know, um, Henrietta Lacks, uh, she was diagnosed with cervical cervical cancer. She went to mm-hmm. John Hop- Hopkins Hospital, uh, which was one of the few hospitals back then that treated black people. Um, and she went there um, because she was complaining of 
vaginal bleeding. Come to find out she had cervical cancer and began undergoing treatment at the hospital. Um, her cells uh, were sent to a cancer researcher in the hospital mm-hmm. and with, without her consent. Um, the researcher discovered her cells were one of a kind because most cells would die, um, but hers would double within 20 to 20 within 20 to 24 hours and it was discovered that um her cells pretty much had the ability to to survive and uh regenerate uh Mm -hmm. she died shortly after her diagnosis but her cells live on and have been incredible yeah have been used for polio vaccines in vitro fertilization even have been used in the research for COVID 19 vaccines amazing i mean they they i know that uh, i love this story and they, they, they actually call it an immortalized cell line. And, and she's considered to be the first immortalized human cell line. And they call it that immortal because it reproduces indefinitely under the right conditions. And so her right. cells, even though she's been gone for 71 years, her mm-hmm. cells are still reproducing and her cells are still saving lives. Correct. And so... So because of that, uh, Lack's hometown will immortalize her in a life-size bronze uh, statue, which will be built next year in uh, downtown Roanoke's Henrietta Lacks Plaza. So great. It's so great. I mean, my, my mom was raised there during segregation, child of a racist father. Uh, and I've heard lots of stories about my grandfather. I never met him. He died before I was born. And my mom got out and she became a nun and a nurse and moved to Malawi, Africa. She went from the segregated South to Africa. And so I've, I've always had this love hate relationship with Roanoke and it's just, I mean, it was so moving that they took down the statue of Robert E. Lee, but the Mm -hmm. fact that they're replacing it with this woman who, even though she was victimized and had no say in this Mm -hmm. uh, has just been such a, a force for healing beyond the grave. This are, this is a really good story. It it is. And um, just one thing I, I want to bring up, like, yes, this is a, a great story, um, but uh, it was also reported in 2020 that scientists today um, buy anywhere from $400 to $1,000 uh, worth of bile for her sale for her cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just truly believe that her family should be compensated. Um I, I do know that the family has an ongoing lawsuit with a biotech company. Uh, and, Amazing. you know, while this while this statue is great, I'm really hoping that there is more done for her and her family. Well, I understand that the family has retained uh, Ben Crump as their lawyer. So it looks like yes. shit's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the great thing. She she never actually gave consent to use her cells and they were mm-hmm. taken and used anyway. And good has come from it. But she or the family were never compensated. It's just amazing. It's just, you, you get these like inspiring stories, but they're inspiring because it's like this ancient discrimination and prejudice and injustice is still going on all the time. Yeah, very much so. Wow. Thea, this is really great. I thank you for ending the year on a high note for us. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful break with your family. Please get thank some rest and, uh, and stay warm, please. 